Hi, it's David Wright, leading expert on family money cash flow solutions. And Carolyn Mose, leading spending planner and passionate advocate of all things spending planning. Welcome back. This is episode three of a special podcast series that is focusing on how to take control of your day-to-day finances and succeed with your money using a unique and proven system. If you haven't had the opportunity to listen to episode one, where we spoke about why people lose control of their finances, or episode two, where we spoke about how people can take control of their finances, make sure you take the time to do that because they are loaded with lots of great information. And to get access to more of our podcasts, go to spendingplannersinstitute.com forward slash podcast. There are also a number of resources that you can access from that link as you continue your journey to taking control of your day-to-day finances and having success with your money. And don't forget our bonus episode, Why Budgeting Sucks and Spending Planning is the Only Unique and Proven Solution to Everyday Money Challenges. Yep, you really need to listen to that one because it's breakthrough information that you won't get anywhere else. That episode explains in detail the principles behind spending planning and it'll help you to get really clear on why all those budgeting apps and systems that you might have tried in the past are next useless if you really do want to take control of your money. In today's episode, episode three, we'll be exploring how to stay in control of your finances and grow your money. So let's dive into today's topic. Just imagine if your fairy godmother came along and waved her magic wand and wiped away all of your debt. Where do you think you could be in 12 months time? Would you have taken on more debt or would you have taken the opportunity to never go back there again and instead create a new debt-free lifestyle for you and your family? <laughs> that, that sounds awesome. Where, where do I find one of these fairy godmothers? <laughs> I think I want one. I'll just go and borrow a whole lot of money and then let her wipe away the debt. <laughs> I can go and just keep on repeating that process over and over. It sounds great. <laughs> It'd be nice to have a fairy godmother, wouldn't it, David? <laughs> it would be. I think you've got some statistics that say that debt's really a problem and we all probably need a fairy godmother, Carolyn. Yes, I do. And yes, it would be good if it was so easy. David, one in six people are currently struggling under a mountain of credit card debt and the statistics show that that debt may never be repaid. I'm sure that every one of those people would love to have a magic wand or some other solution to their debt problem. I know in our last podcast, we talked about the simple eight-step process that we use for solving everyday money problems and getting out of debt. But let's just imagine for today that you were lucky enough to have your fairy godmother come along and pay you a visit and you're now debt-free. Yeah, or they followed our eight steps from last time. Yeah. Well, absolutely, yeah. Yep. So my question for you today is simply this. Now that you're debt-free, how do you avoid going back there in the future? Yep, that's a great question. And it's the one that we definitely need to talk about because last time we talked about how to get out of debt, but how to stay out of debt is even as important, if not more important. Yep. So I'm sure you said one in six people. That's a staggering statistic. I think it's about 2 million Australians who cannot pay their credit card off in full, who are under serious debt stress. And I'd be very surprised if any of those would say, if I could just get this debt paid off, I'd be lining up to go back for more. (laughs) I'm sure they'll be saying, if I can get rid of this debt, I'll never go back for more. And yet, you know, I think of my wife after having had our first child, she said, that's it. I'm never doing childbirth again. (laughs) Yeah, I remember saying that. Yeah, yeah. And we've got three kids. So, you know, (laughs) you forget the pain. 
then you kind of go, oh, it wouldn't be so bad. You know, we could get this new car or this toy or this fancy thing or whatever. And the attraction becomes stronger than the memory of the pain and bingo. There you are back in debt again and before too long regretting it and wishing you'd remembered the pain more strongly. Ah, uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, so how to stay out of debt and grow is definitely today's topic. And look, what I've come to realize is that if you don't have rules around anything in life, then anything can happen. People who have rules tend to have a much less dramatic and turbulent lifestyle. So I'm a firm believer that it's putting money rules, especially debt rules, in place that makes all the difference. But David, I listen to you say that and I think, oh my goodness, you know, when we were growing up, we had rules for this and rules for that. We couldn't do this. We couldn't do that. And everyone's going, oh, don't give me more rules. I'm now an adult. <laughs> I want freedom. I don't want a set of rules. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you think about those rules. We might have hated them as kids, and I, I can assure you I did too, but isn't it the rules that shaped us as the person that you are and the people that we are today? Mm. Look, I, I was a school teacher for years, and I could easily identify the kids who didn't have any rules at home. Mm -hmm. you know, they came to school with no rules either, and they thought that they could do anything, whenever, whatever, and they were the ones who were out of control and who caused all the chaos. Well, yeah, and I guess it is part of that whole discipline thing. As much as we hate that word, if we put some simple disciplines into our life, it just makes life go so much smoother, doesn't it? Look, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure that I've said this before on some other podcasts, and, and I'm sure I'll say it again. No one gets a gold medal without having a coach and a team around them. Anyone who gets a gold medal, there's one thing that they engage to achieve that gold medal, and it's discipline. Yep. The team helps them to discipline themselves. So they've actually got people who are there to show them what to do and help them to do it. But it's discipline, self-discipline, that allows these people who achieve extreme things to achieve. People who don't have discipline, who don't have rules, who just do whatever, very rarely achieve anything worthwhile. And that's why they need the fairy godmother, because someone else has to bail them out. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. Without, without those rules and that discipline, I guess they're literally just sitting there waiting for their fairy godmother, aren't they? Yeah, and, and that's why those eight simple steps that we gave people last time are so powerful. Yeah. yeah. Really, really, they're rules, aren't they? They're rules for getting out of debt. So what we're going to talk about first today is what are the rules that you might want to put in place to stay out of debt? And let's get over the stigma of having to have rules Rules help us achieve a better lifestyle and a better outcome in life. So if you've currently got debt stress and you don't want to go back into debt in the future, you need some really clear personal debt rules before you start the process, even before you start the process of getting out of your current debt. Mm -hmm. yep. Otherwise, you're going to end up back where you started. So you need to consider questions like, would you borrow to invest? Maybe you've said, I'm never going to have debt again, but maybe you then thought, well, there's, there's such a thing as good debt and bad debt. You know, would I borrow to buy a new car or would I borrow to buy a jet ski or some other toy? What does sensible borrowing and what does sensible investment look like? Is it okay to borrow for a car? What's the difference between good debt and bad debt? These are all questions that people listening in need to really stop and think about because I'm guessing that most of the one in six people that you referred to earlier are in what I would call bad debt, or it's often referred to as consumer debt. 
They've borrowed for things that aren't worth what they paid for them and what the debt is. So they're in the debt trap. Yep. Hey, Carolyn, have you ever hired purchased a car or something that you wish that you hadn't later on? Well, probably not. I, I mean, we've never owned a brand new car when we were busy raising our three children. Back then, you know, it was pretty tough. We always yeah. had secondhand vehicles and we always paid cash for them back then because we just didn't want to go into debt. And I know I've, I've talked about that before. You know, you, you talk about debt rules. I have a few that I've given myself along the way. Yeah. And a lot of those, you know, I can trace right back to my early childhood when I made a decision very early on that I wouldn't go into debt because, you know, I saw my family struggle with money and I just didn't want to go there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I never had, well, back then we didn't have credit cards. So you actually had to save up for things. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. And the most we had then was lay-by. And lay-by is a little different today, you know. We've got the whole pay-after-you-buy kind of set up now, but that's another topic totally. Um, So for me, I put debt rolls in place fairly early in my life, and I'm sure I'll share a few of those along the way um, as we're getting into this topic today. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I'm sure you've heard me say in life, we learn far more from pain than we ever do from pleasure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so people who are suffering under the agony of debt and saying, oh, you know, this is stupid. We're not going to get out of debt. I'm never going to go back there again. We know that unless they've got rules, there's a very big chance that they will go back there. So the thing is that, you know, you, you have to think about what was it that got you into that debt? in the first place and make a rule that basically says, all right, that can't happen again. Mm-hmm. Yep. That, that's not to say that there can't be some other situation that comes along that you don't have a rule for yet that you get suckered by and there you are back in the hole. So we, well, yeah, that's right. So we do need to put some debt rules in place. Can I tell you of a debt rule that I've put in place for myself? Yeah, go for it. You're, I mean, you think you're going to tell the story about the little black dress, aren't you? Oh, yeah, I am. It's a great story. I I went shopping with a friend who had more money than I did. And I had a budget of $100 for a new dress for a wedding. And I ended up spending $300 because my friend who had more money than me convinced me that I needed to buy it. Now, my rule, um, and that was after I had to own up to my husband that I'd spent three times (laughs) that money. Um, (laughs) My rule that I created after that was, and this is something that I share with my clients, don't shop with rich friends or don't shop with people who've got more money than you do. And that's a simple debt rule that I've put in place back then and I still have it today. Yep. So, okay. So I've got a list of rules here that are examples. And I really like that one about the black dress. You can, it's, it's spot on. Clearly everybody listening to this podcast is going to have different life circumstances and different values and different experiences. So everyone listening in, you're going to need to make your own rules. So what we'll do here is we'll give you some examples of some debt rules and you can adopt them if you like. But after this podcast is over, you need to sit down with a pen and paper and start writing down. Okay, so what will my debt rules be? Okay, so so here's one that I made. Carolyn, I asked you about buying a car because I one of my lessons that I gave myself <laughs> that gave me this rule, never borrow for things that you don't absolutely need. You know, I, I convinced myself that I needed a newer car. The old one was going okay, but I just... You know, our, our friends, people that we knew, they all had nicer, fancier cars. And I thought, well, why can't we be like them, you know? Yep. Yeah. 
And the thing is, you can't see the stress, the debt stress that people are in. All you see is the facade. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. You know, because they've got these, this lovely house and a lovely car and the kids all wear designer clothes and they go on holidays. It all looks wonderful. And you can go, oh, I wish I had that life. But you've got no idea the debt stress and what's going on behind the scenes because you only see the surface. Mm-hmm. So true. It's the whole keeping up with the Joneses syndrome. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, I bought this car. It was $11,000 and that was a lot more money than it would be now. And I was so foolish that I even thought, you know, I, I'm going to teach guitar lessons after work and I'll earn the money to make the repayments. It was the only way I could think of to get this car. So basically, once I bought the car, I had to teach guitar lessons for five years every afternoon after work to pay for it, which was totally stupid. But at the time, you know, it just felt like a smart thing to do. <laughs> but, but, but when I started feeling like, oh, I wish I hadn't done this and I thought I'm going to sell the car, what I discovered was that the car wasn't worth the amount of debt that I had. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, so because the car had lost value faster than I was paying off the loan. And a lot of the people listening in today would know exactly what I'm talking about here. So my first rule is never borrow for things you don't absolutely need. So, you know, you need a house, but you don't need a mansion. You need a car, but you don't need a Rolls Royce. Holidays, I've got here on my list. You don't need a holiday that's paid for by debt. I mean, you probably feel like you need a holiday, but you don't need a holiday that's paid for by debt. It's so hard to get up in the morning thinking, oh, I've got to go to work to pay for the holiday that we had last year. You know, the thrill of the holiday is long gone, but the debt is still there. Yep. And I'm just going to say, David, that's a real biggie. It really is. I've even had clients where they've said to me, you know, I really need this holiday. I deserve it. I've worked really (laughs) hard this year and we can't quite afford it, but we're just going to go and put it on the credit card because we really need this. (laughs) And and the number of my clients that do that, and you're right, because a couple of months down the track, they're like, oh my goodness, I'm still paying off that holiday. I can't even remember it now, you know? Yeah, I got all the photos, but but who looks at the photos anyway? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, So here's the rule. That the rule that I made after the mistake of buying that car because everybody else had one. Because I realized that the car lost value faster than I could pay off the loan. And then I was stuck between the rock and a hard place because if I sold the car, I had to find the difference between what I got for the car and what I owed on the car loan. So the rule is, if you really, really, really want to buy some consumer item that you know the moment you drive it out of the car yard or you walk out of the shop door, it's not worth what you paid for it because if you try to sell that bright shiny object on eBay or Gumtree or somewhere else, because you suddenly realize, oh my goodness, I shouldn't have bought this thing. I've got to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah. No one is going to give you full price or even close to what you paid for it. It just lost value the moment you walked out the door. So the rule was you've got to save up 50%. Right. Yep. So if you've got 50%, you can borrow the other 50% because you're pretty sure that if, you know, even if it's a week after you bought it, you think, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You can usually sell something for half of what you paid for it, especially if it's only a week old. So that way you've got an escape route if you really need one. And, and that was how I got my rule. That, that was the rule that I made. So your rule was to just save up the whole lot. And it was possibly a little bit easier back then because cars weren't quite so expensive or we just chose to buy cheaper ones that we could afford. 
So here's another rule. Don't borrow for big ticket items if you can pay cash. Even if you feel like it makes sense to keep the money in an offset account, this is something that you and I were talking about earlier before we came on the call, Carolyn. And I know we had a bit of a difference of opinion on that, David, yeah. <laughs> because we've used supporting month interest-free or whatever it might be thing because I thought, well, that money's better sitting in my offset account rather than sitting in somebody else's pocket. So I've chosen to pay that monthly amount knowing that I'm going to get it paid off well and truly before that 40 months. But then you've got another side to that story, haven't you? Yep, I do. Well, I mean, what you said sounds smart and I've, I've done that too, but I mean, I actually had an accountant suggested to me that I should buy a car. So he basically said, go and buy a car. And I had the money to pay cash for it. And he said, but if you borrow the money, you can claim the interest of, on the loan because it was a business car. Um, for a business purchase, you can claim the interest as a tax deduction. So I thought, okay, that's a great idea. So I didn't pay cash. I borrowed the money. But then life changed and the money disappeared much faster than I thought it would. And suddenly I've got this car on hire purchase. Great idea, says the accountant. You can claim the interest. But suddenly here we are struggling to meet the repayments and the money that I could have paid cash for the car with was gone. And once again, this is a different car than the other one, I was stuck between a rock and a hard place. So that was the second fancy car I regretted buying. <laughs> so, so if that situation ever came up again, I would just buy the car with cash. And, you know, I know, David, from working with my clients that life can change so rapidly. I've had clients who've had full-time jobs and all of a sudden there's been a downturn in that particular industry. And I know one of my clients is a construction worker and construction workers at the moment, they're really struggling because we've got a downturn in that trade, especially in the big cities where there's just been too much construction construction so you know some of these guys are being laid off and some are losing their Saturday work which was overtime they're losing five or six hundred dollars a week and all of a sudden you know they can't afford to pay the mortgage or the car loan repayment so this is what we talked about back in episode one so we said you know you're right life is so changeable that we don't want to put ourselves in the position where that could happen absolutely you always want to think about what else could happen don't you I mean yep. and if it happens then you know, are you going to be in a situation where you regret making the choices that you've made? A lot of money experts will say that you should save up three months worth of income and put that into an account where you've got easy access to it because if life changes in an instant and you lose your job, you get sick, you can't work or whatever, you've got three months to sort out the problem. Mm -hmm. Yep, and it's much better than living just one payday away from bankruptcy. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, that doesn't really sound like a debt rule to me, though. It's probably more like a life rule for financial well-being. Well, yeah, I think you're right. It should definitely be a life rule. You need to save up that buffer emergency fund and just have it sitting there just in case. So what other debt rules have we got, David? Okay. Um, my next tip or, or rule, maybe, never pay the recommended retail price for anything, and especially not for things that you intend paying for with debt. You need to look for smarter ways to get what you want. Carolyn, I know you've got a rule that you were telling me about before. What's your rule? Yep, I have. And it's simply this. I never buy anything that's not on sale because when you go to the shops, everything is on sale all the time. If it's not on sale this week, it's going to be on sale very soon. Wait for it. If it's not on sale this week, then. Yep. 
it's it's exactly right. I've been known to go into Maya because I have a bit of a fetish for Maya clothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's very expensive, but I've never bought anything in Maya that hasn't been 50% off or more. And I've been known to see a dress one week and actually hide it on another rack. <laughs> <laughs> we might we might need to cut this bit out of the recording, I think. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, well, we'll leave it in then. <laughs> you have to admit well, to the whole world. It, it's easy to find when you go back a week later and, and you find that it's, you know... It's not on special it's anymore. It's not on special anymore. Well, yeah. But, you know, it's a simple rule and it works for me and it means that I can buy really good quality at the right price. So it lasts a lot longer. There are a lot of benefits in buying a better brand. Um, and, okay, in episode two, we talked about negotiating the prices down comparing prices at the different retailers and saying, I can get this at a better price down the road. Can you do better? And you know what I said before about saving up half the price of any consumer items you might want to buy before using finance. Mm -hmm. If you're totally committed to buying something and you can get it at half price, you just save yourself from having to save the deposit if you're using that rule. Mind you, if you can get a 50% discount from a retailer, you're probably still going to find it's not super easy to sell it at, at that buy price if you do need to sell it. But you'd have to be a lot safer if it did come down to that, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's a great tip. Shop around, twist the salesman's arm, haggle, don't pay full price. Hey, here's another shopping tip I just remembered. If you know you're not that good at haggling and negotiating, if you've got a friend who is good at that, get them to go shopping and they can do the haggling for you. <laughs> funny, funny thing, most people would be better at haggling for somebody else than they ever would be for haggling for themselves. And that will stop you from getting upsold to as well. Your friend will be shopping for exactly what you told them and not letting emotions get in the way like they may well have if it was you doing the shopping. Mm -hmm. David, I'm not sure if you told me this idea, if I read it somewhere, but if you write down your criteria for a new car and you actually give that criteria to a friend and say, you go and shop for me, it takes the emotion out of that purchase. Yeah, I think that was me. I've been saying that for years. Think about it. How do you keep emotions out of a purchase like that? I mean, a car is something that it's so easy to get carried away with. Yeah, true. Yeah, you just, you just need to leave emotions behind and it's pretty much impossible to do that when you're looking at something like a car. So get someone else to do it for you. They'll be thinking, this is what I was told to go shopping for. This is what I'll get. Mm -hmm, yep. Okay, another rule. Always pay more than the minimum loan repayment. Mm -hmm. so, so that basically means then that you get ahead and if something happens, you know, life exerts itself is how I think you describe it. Yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it gives you other options when things go wrong. You can probably negotiate to miss a payment because you've already gotten ahead of where you need it to be. Okay, um, change the way that you think about possessions. They really are overrated. Do you really need all that stuff? Mm-hmm, yep. Uh, you know, my wife and I, our, our kids are growing up, so we've got grandkids now, and we've thrown out or disposed of so much stuff in the last decade since our kids moved out. And as we were throwing it out and getting rid of it, I'm thinking, what on earth possessed me to want to buy this stuff in the first place? You know, I, I want you to really just think, do you need this thing before you go shopping? And if you've ever had to deal with a deceased estate. Oh, yeah. Nobody is interested. Sometimes you've almost got to give it away. Yep. We've been through all of that. Um, and also, just, just on that, David, think about the gift purchases that you make for people. 
after my mum passed away and we were cleaning out her house, do you know I found 13 brand new nightgowns that I bought for various birthdays and Mother's Day. Um, my mother was always so appreciative and she'd say, oh yeah, I'd love a new nightgown. <laughs> I obviously wasted a lot of money on something that wasn't needed. Whoops. So, yeah. well, I know. But so last year, you know, I made a rule last year that at Christmas time that I would buy gifts for people that number one were useful. Number two was something that I knew they would buy for themselves anyway. So I was actually saving them money. Yeah. An example of this is I bought my son and daughter-in-law three activities they could do during the school holidays that would save them money and give them some enjoyment as a family because cool. I knew they were going to go and spend that money anyway. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, you know, the op shop stores are overflowing with stuff so I'm giving gifts that won't end up there. And that reminds me of another debt rule that I've actually put in place for myself. Because if I do go shopping... You go to the op shop? No, no, no. Well, I have done that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but if I do go shopping and I see something that I think I want to purchase, I'll walk away and think about it for 24 hours. And come back another day? Well, possibly come back to it the next day, but often you'll find that if you do this, within 24 hours, you realise that you didn't really want it or need it that badly yeah, after Yeah, yeah. The, the sparkle's just gone away. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. And that takes the emotion out of that purchase again, because you've given yourself time to actually think about it. Is this a need or a want? Do I really need this? Yep. Yep, yep. You know. Um, okay. All right. Another rule that I've got here, and I think this almost goes without saying, and it's probably what most people do, but if you're going to borrow money, you know, you've decided that you're going to, to do this thing, whatever it was that you just can't resist, you want to make sure you're going to get the best deal, the one that suits you the best. So go to a broker rather than going directly to one of the banks, because they've only got a set suite of products that are their product on offer. Whereas a broker is going to be able to look at all of the lending institutions products, you know, what they've got on offer and pick the best one for you. Yeah. And I guess you should constantly be checking at least every year, make sure you check. Am I on the best deal? Could I, or could I negotiate a better interest rate or a better deal? Well, yeah, that's right. Yep. Uh, I've got another one here. Make looking for ways to earn more money, your hobby rather than being conned into thinking that you'll get more pleasure out of spending money. So what I'm talking about here is, you know, on the weekends when you're bored and you're trying to get over the stressful week that you've just persevered, you know, five days at work, all of the stress, you've got two days off and then suddenly it's going to be Monday and back for more stress. And you're thinking, what can I do this weekend to sort of make myself feel good? I know, let's go shopping. <laughs> what, <laughs> I've, what I've found is that life can become very exciting. You know, I was a school teacher and I can't say that I love my job. There was a heck of a lot of stress in that. But I got so excited after I discovered this whole spending planner system that I created for helping people take control of their finances. I, I didn't need to go shopping at all because I found so much excitement from thinking, wow, I'm actually creating a business that's going to be helping people. And I didn't know anything about business. So it's like, you know, I started what people would nowadays call a side hustle, I guess. And I got so tied up with the excitement of starting that and generating income from it. I didn't go spending money on the weekends. I went earning it. So I've got this idea that people could actually go, what could I do that would be so exciting that would be earning money that would then take the focus out of spending money? I don't know that that's a debt rule. It's probably a life tip. 
I think we probably should do a whole podcast on ways to earn extra money, you know, because... Well, yeah, there's a lot in that, David, and there's a lot of good ideas. Um, and I know a lot of my clients have got, you know, little side things that they're good at um, that they've then created a mini business. Yeah, turn your passion into income, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Another one that I'm sure I've mentioned before that I've got here on my list, always consider the ongoing cost of ownership with every purchase you make. Even if you purchase something with high ongoing costs without going into debt on that purchase, you may well end up in debt because of the repairs, maintenance and storage costs. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a real biggie because I know we've talked about this before as well. It's things like putting in a pool and the initial purchase, fantastic. Then you've got to think about the ongoing maintenance of the pool, the chemicals that you have to put in, the pump that needs replacing in a few years and all of those sorts of things. Yep. And I'm sure we've talked about cars too, which is another one. You've got the mm-hmm. servicing and the tyres and the insurance and stuff like that. Yep. So the ongoing cost. So, so whatever it is that you're thinking of borrowing to spend money on, a rule that says, before I decide I'm going to buy something, check out what the life expectancy is, what's the maintenance and ongoing cost going to be. Mm-hmm. So, so that I don't find myself going into debt trying to keep the maintenance up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Purchase, you yeah. know, and we've talked about cars and pools and their things, but even think about the cost of a puppy, you know, and that's mm-hmm. a really emotional. <laughs> yes. Decision. But it can also be a really expensive decision in the long term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just think twice before you go shopping for the puppy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And give yourself that 24 hours to think about it. It's a really good debt rule to put in place. Yep. Okay, here's one that would apply to more interest rates and mortgages mainly. I can't tell you the number of people who have contacted me over the years when interest rates were going up and they'd locked their interest rate to save the pain of a higher interest rate. Mm. And then they sold their house or they decided they wanted to refinance to a better deal Yeah. and find they've got to pay what's called a break fee mm-hmm. yep. to, to break the fixed interest rate. Yeah. So if you're thinking of selling your home or refinancing or you're going to change anything, or if you think there's a possibility that your life circumstances could change, don't lock your interest rate without checking to see if you're going to have to pay a penalty to unlock it so that you can sell the house or move on to that next chapter of your life or deal with whatever is coming at you. Um, You know, I learned that the hard way as well. I fixed my interest rate when variable was at 18% and I locked in at 15% thinking I was smart. But the 18 soon became 12 and I was left at 15, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so since then, I've decided that, that banks are not going to offer a fixed interest rate for your benefit. Mm-hmm. It, nope. You know, it, they're in the business of making a profit. It'll be for their benefit. So if they're offering a whatever as a fixed interest rate, they obviously think there's a good chance that they'll come out better off than you will or they wouldn't offer it. So I have a rule now, and this is just my personal rule. I'm not trying to tell people you should follow this, but think about it. My rule is I'll never fix an interest rate because I've always been better off by not fixing. So yeah, that's just a rule. Um, Make sure you are really clear on the difference between good debt and bad debt before considering borrowing any money at all. Mm, Yep. We probably should have talked about this one sooner, Carolyn, but we've arrived here. Some of the people listening in might be thinking, what do you mean? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I hate all debt <laughs> and I'm in so much debt. I can't imagine debt being good. Mm-hmm, yeah. How can debt be good? Have, have you, well, you know all about this. Have you got a definition for good debt and bad debt? Well, yes, I do. And it's very simple. You know, good debt is debt that can actually lead to more wealth. 
okay? And bad debt leads to less wealth. So think about your home as your prime example. You buy a home, you take out a mortgage, you keep that home for long enough for it to increase in value. You sell that home, you've created some wealth, right? Mm -hmm. So bad debt, obviously things like credit card debt, consumer debt, borrowing to buy things that lose value. Absolutely. And that one in six people that you referred to earlier would be suffering from having bad debt. Mm -hmm. Bad debt, absolutely. Yep, yep. I can think of plenty of people who have taken on what they thought was good debt. You know, they buy the investment property, but it's negatively geared. And then the property market falls and suddenly what they thought was good debt turned out to be bad debt after all. So think twice about the advice that people might be giving you for creating wealth, because not all wealth gurus are actually wealth gurus. Yeah, well, that's right. And it's really important, David, that's, and that's a whole other topic as well. But owning an investment property, and I know this from personal experience, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. a, oh, it can be a very expensive exercise and it's not always beneficial to you as the owner of the investment property. So as I said, you know, there's a whole other topic of conversation we can do about that. But um, because we're about to run out of time, where do we go from here? What do we do? Yeah, well, you know, we've thrown a few ideas in the hat, but anybody listening basically, and especially if they're currently under a bit of debt stress, they need to listen to the last podcast with that eight steps for getting out of debt. Now, your, your fairy godmother probably isn't going to appear. Mm, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so you need to make rules. You have to stay. Stop. Sit down with the other half and yeah, okay, so this is where we're at in life. This is what brought us here. These are the things that happened in the past that we do not want to have happen again. So what are the rules that we should put in place that say, when this happens, we won't do that. Instead, we'll do this. And then think about, okay, what are the things that haven't happened to us in our life yet that could happen? And really, you need to sort of think about your friends, family members, other people you've read about, that you've seen on the news, who've gotten themselves into deep doo-doo, shall we say. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> you know, what happened to them and what rules could we put in place that would mean that that won't happen to us? That's why we've been throwing a few of these ideas in the hat today that sort of get people to think about their debt rule mm -hmm. and put them on paper, laminate them, put them somewhere where you're going to see them and stick to them. And if you ever consider breaking them, go and get some expert advice from somebody else to say, you know, we've had this rule for a while, but we're thinking you're doing such and such. Why should we and why shouldn't we? And whenever you do make these decisions, you should have a bit of paper with the pros and cons columns and, and put the pluses and minuses down before you make any of these decisions. Mm -hmm. And that in itself is almost a rule, isn't it? Looking at the pros and cons and weighing up the decision. Yeah. So now that we've talked about some sample rules, it's time to make your own for those people listening in. Think about what debt you would be prepared to take on when you've paid off your current loans and the reasons why and write your rules down. Once you have them clearly defined, type up a nice neat copy and have it laminated and put it somewhere that you're gonna see it regularly. Okay, so now we've got some clear debt rules in place. How do we grow our money? Okay, well, first of all, you should be setting goals. You know, when you think about it, it's pretty clear that setting goals is not only important, I would say it's essential. Because you know, how can you get what you want in life if what you want is a moving target or a nondescript thing. Um, you know, I sell a book by a wealth coach by the name of Bodo Schaefer, and in it he talks about goals 
and how important it is to set them and how important it is for them to be really specific. He says life is a bit like a mail order company. You receive exactly what you order. It's no good just saying, I'd like lots of money one day. And to make his point, he uses this analogy, and I really love this one. He says, if you placed an order for something nice, what would you expect to receive in the mail? Because, you know, you could receive just about anything. You might get a plastic bag with some rose petals in it. <laughs> you might get some chocolates. You might get a photo of a mountain view. Something nice could be a million different things. You have to be really clear about what you want or anything can turn up and you need to define it and declare it. Once you've decided what you want, you also have a much better chance of working out how to get it. That's so true. You know, I'm working with a client at the moment um, and she's really struggling with trying to reach her big goal, yeah. which for her, um, for them, it's their first home um, and they also want to have a second child. So, and the problem is, it's really hard for her to give up the little things like Netflix and Stan and Spotify, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, to reach the big goals. So I suggested to her that what she needed to do was get a picture of a beautiful new home and a new baby, put it up on her fridge and yeah. then put a date on it for when she wanted to reach that goal. So every day when she sees the photo, she's reminded that she's giving up the small things to get something that's far more important to her. Fair enough. Actually, I, on, just on that, I know a lady who wants to lose weight. And so she found this photo of this beautiful model with you know the shapely kind of body. And she had it enlarged and printed out. And then she cut the head off <laughs> and, 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 and stuck a similar size photo of her head in its place and put the finished image on her fridge door. I saw it, it just took up the whole fridge. It was life-sized. Oh, wow. So she could see herself with her new body every time she went near the fridge. Probably made her not open the fridge door and take out the chocolate. Well, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's like you said, you never get what you want in life if you're not really clear on what it is you really want and then put a date on it. Yep. So, so once you've got some clear goals in place, I think one of the next things you need to do is cut your expenses without cutting your lifestyle. Oh, yeah. Look, and you know, I've got a really great story about that because a lot of people think, oh, you know, if I put a budget in place or whatever, I'm not going to be able to spend money on anything. And I just go, no, I, you've just got to think outside the box. I've got a client and she's got four young children. She mm -hmm. said one of the things she struggles most with is when it comes to the weekend and they want to take the kids somewhere and it always seems to cost them a bucket load of money. Yeah. You know? So I said to her, next time you take the kids to the beach and you want to buy them ice creams, instead of buying six ice creams for, say, $24. Yeah, yeah, or more. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or more. Well, that's at $4 <laughs> an ice cream, you know. Yeah, yeah. Go to the closest supermarket, buy a two-litre tub of ice cream and six plastic spoons. <laughs> you can save yourself twenty dollars because you'll only buy you know spend four bucks at the supermarket i can just see those four kids one on each side of a square tub with a spoon just going oh, for it <laughs> absolutely you know and tell them they can eat as much as they like so you've cut your expenses without cutting your lifestyle so you know just just think outside the box how can i have the same sort of thing but what's the cheaper alternative to that yep yep that sounds like common sense to me yeah. Okay. So then I think another priority to look at would be finding ways to increase your income. And, you know, when I was a school teacher, I was frustrated by the need to earn more money because we just were struggling. So I was always on the lookout for opportunities to earn a bit extra here and there. 
And I remember one thing I did, I took a job driving a school bus to and from school, which was my work, so I could get paid to drive to and from work. So that was just thinking outside the square. I discovered I was really good at helping people manage their money. So I started a business after hours helping people with that. When I was an apprentice in the 1970s, I used to play in a band. So on the weekends, I'd go and earn extra money. Yeah, when I think about it, there's never really been a time when I didn't have something else on the go, you know, on the side. And I counted them up a few years back, like all the different things that I'd done outside of my, my real job. <laughs> and there were it was well over 30 different ways that I've earned money in my life. You know, too many people are stuck in this thought that they're limited by their job and what it pays. But there are so many other things that you could do. You just have to get creative. And the best place to start, I reckon, is to look at what you really love to do and consider if you could generate income from it in some way, shape or form, you know? Mm. So yeah, could you teach skills? Like I used to teach guitar because I was good at playing the guitar. Um, Could you sell something that you make? Um, You know, or maybe you could set up a website with lots of information about it, but then let people advertise on that page and then you could earn money from the advertising. Mm, there's there's just so many different things that you could do you just have to think outside the square yeah absolutely Um, another really simple rule for growing wealth is to pay yourself first now this is a simple principle straight from the book the richest man in babylon that's been around a long time you know we, we talked about this in episode two you should save a percentage of your income and the principle given in that book was to save 10 percent and save it before you get to spend any of your pay. You, you need to get it taken out before it arrives so it's just automatic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you know, I remember when I first started work, my mum said to me, you know, you should bank some money. And I thought to myself, okay, I'll bank what's left in my wallet at the end of the week. <laughs> and and do, you, do you think I ever saved any money? No, of course no, not. Because yeah. it, it always goes. So you have to pay yourself first. Yeah. Um, otherwise it won't happen. And if you think you can't afford 10%, you know, people listening in might be thinking, oh, I'm really struggling. Maybe you could start with 1% and then double it to 2%. Then when you get a pay rise, just add to it. Just keep adding to it until you get to the 10%. Mm. And the thing is just on that, you know, even the next time you get a pay rise, just, just say to your employer, you know what, just put that money, that extra money into an account for me. This is a new account I'm opening up. I don't even want to see it because at the moment we're doing okay on what I'm currently earning. So I don't even want to see the new bit. Oh, I wouldn't tell my boss that he'd never give me another pay rise. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you don't tell him that. (laughs) Tell the paymaster. (laughs) Tell the paymaster. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's a case of what you don't see, you don't miss. Hey, that's, that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. And it's also important to invest in yourself. You know, if you want to be more successful, you need to hang around with successful people and learn from them. Um, you know, I, I love reading great books and I love listening to great podcasts. And one of my favourite books is called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. It's a very old book, but it's yeah. a very relevant book even today. One of the things that he says in that book is have a burning desire for what you want to happen. And that takes us back to our goals. You it know, does, yeah, yeah. yeah. You really need to know what you want in life, what you want to achieve and where you want to be in five years, 10 or 20 years time and then go for it. You know, once you do that, there's really no turning back. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. So here's another one. And this is sort of to do with growing and, and creating wealth. 
I honestly believe that most people do not have the time or the interest to learn enough about investing to be able to safely grow their own investment portfolio. The best comment I think I can make here is to keep it really simple. You know, I've seen people who have actively traded in property or shares or business, and they still didn't do any better than someone who just saved a set amount every pay and let time do the work for them. So, you know, like by all means, learn about investing and stuff like that, but just keep in the back of your mind. Simple is often what, you know, the, the, like the hare and the tortoise, you know, the, the tortoise won the race in the end. <laughs> yeah. So there's some tips from us, but the most important thing you can do when you get to this point is to get advice from a professional. That brings us to the end of episode three, the process that will enable you to stay in control of your finances and grow. Make sure you listen to our bonus episode, Why Budgeting Sucks and Spending Planning is the Only Unique and Proven Solution to Everyday Money Challenges. You can get access to more of our podcasts by going to spendingplannersinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Yep, and don't forget that bonus, Why Budgeting Sucks. I love that one. See you soon. Bye for now.